From the digital team at savannahnow.com, this is Difference Makers, a podcast featuring interviews with Savannah's community leaders about what they do, how they do it, and why. I'm Adam Van Bremer, and joining me for the August 7th episode is convenience store magnate Greg Parker, who built one gas station in Midway into an industry-changing chain of roadside markets. Difference Makers is presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority. You know the organizations and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces. But do you know why they are Difference Makers? This is Difference Makers, a podcast presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority and dedicated to highlighting Savannah's key players and their contributions to our community. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, including commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. Again, my name is Adam Van Bremer, and I am the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening. Today's guest is Greg Parker, founder and CEO of the Parker Companies. The centerpiece of his business is convenience stores, and Parker's was recently named the chain of the year in the convenience store industry. Parker's joins the ranks of brands with household names, such as Wawa, Quick Trip, and Sheets, in earning the award. And as Parker's footprint continues to expand, this local company could soon become familiar beyond the Georgia and South Carolina coasts. Here's the Difference Makers interview with Greg Parker. Today's Difference Maker is Greg Parker, the founder and CEO of the Parker Companies, which uh, most of us associate with the many convenience stores across the Savannah area. And I'm not afraid to say the best cup of coffee, at least the best convenience store cup of coffee, and better than Starbucks. Sorry, Starbucks. Well, thank you. Uh, in Savannah. I would agree with you, and I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> yeah, very good. But uh, Parker also does a wholesale gasoline business, and they are also into construction and development now. So... Greg, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's always a it's always a delight to, to talk with you and and exchange some some ideas and insights. But let's start before we get into the business side of things, and, and obviously that's a topic that I find very fascinating. Let's let the readers, let the listeners know a little bit about you. I think a, what we found with this podcast is people they know who the guest is, they know what they do, but they might not know a whole lot about their background. So we. Okay. We start at the beginning, you know, where were you born? No, we're not going to do that. But uh, <laughs> can you share with us a little bit about uh, your upbringing, your influences? Uh, and quite frankly, let's start with where were you born? Where did you grow up? Okay, I am from Collins, Georgia, very small town in Tattnall County. I was actually born, there wasn't a doctor in Collins. So I was born in Reedsville, but came home to Collins and lived in a bunch of small towns in South Georgia. I lived in uh, Lyons and Glenville and graduated from high school in Vidalia. Okay. Um, born in 1953, went to the University of Georgia in 1971, graduated in 1975, uh, came home and started working with my dad, who was a distributor in Glenville, Georgia. And then uh, I finished the construction of a store that we were building on I-95 at Highway 84 in Liberty County. And then I opened that store January 1st, 1976. So I'm approaching my 45th year in business. Adam. Wow. So you said you bounced around a lot of small towns in Georgia. Was that uh, because that's where your parents were, were moving around to? Tell us a little bit about the home life. Yeah. Um, I am one of three children, uh, lived in Collins. We moved around a lot. I lived in Atlanta and Houston, Texas, and Jackson, Mississippi, and then Atlanta, and then Doraville, and then Lyons, and Collins, and Glenville, and Vida. I went to actually to 10 different schools 
before going to college. So my father worked with his father, my grandfather, and then he went to work with a company called Lever Brothers in Atlanta, and his job just kept moving. And um, it was, you know, I will tell you, one of the things I've tried to give my children is the continuity of experience because moving so much, always being the new kid on the block, is it, it's tough. And so you don't have the continuity of friendships or schools or teachers. And it's, un, you know, at least military families, they there are other military families around. With us, we were always the new kid in town. Yeah. So when you were bouncing around in these little towns, what uh, what were your interests? Were you an athlete? Were you an artist? Were you a young entrepreneur from from when you were in Japan? I did. I would not say I was a young entrepreneur, but I did go to work. Uh, I worked pretty much all the way through from the summer between my ninth and tenth grade. I worked on a farm, and then I worked in tobacco warehouses. I I did a lot of different kinds of jobs. My senior year of high school, I actually got out after my first period of class in English, and I worked at a place called Federal Pacific Electric. So I worked 40 hours a week, even my senior year of high school. And then I went to University of Georgia on scholarship, and I worked as a waiter and taught tennis in the summers and did different things. But I was an athlete, yeah, and I played football and basketball and baseball and tennis and golf. And uh uh, um, I loved competing in sports. Uh, I'm still much more of a, a, I would rather play a sport than watch a sport. Right. And at almost 67, I, you know, I'm still very physical and enjoy um, athletics. Yeah, it's, a bit of time. it's definitely a word that it sums up your, your personality. So it's not a surprise that, uh, that you were competing. Yeah, on well, I, <laughs> I took the strengths finder test and I think my number one strength is competition. So all yeah. of my friends and people I work with even say that's a competitive guy, but um, <laughs> uh, um, I do I do like competing. I do. Right. Who are your influences? I imagine your father was one of them. Can you kind of talk about who they were and, and why they? What kind of influence they had? Yeah, of course. Your parents are always influencers, um, and uh, you know I love my mother and my father. My father's passed away. My mother is doing great. She's going to be 89 this month. And um, when I went into business, I had a dairy farmer that uh, we were able to, we were able to build a store. It's interesting because as a family, we didn't have the financial firepower to build our first store. So we borrowed, we, we, there was a dairy farmer in Liberty County by the name of Bill Martin. And um, I hope his daughters hear this. Uh, but he owned the land at the intersection of I-95 and Highway 84, and we leased a piece of property from him, and he subordinated his position on the land to the bank to allow us to borrow money on his piece of land. Mm. And that's how we were able to get the business. And Bill Martin really became my mentor. He was a, a dairy farmer who was very smart, very relationship-oriented, and he taught me a lot about especially real estate. I can remember him laughing. He had he had his he had a nub for his pointer finger on his right hand. He'd always point it at me and right in front of my face and this this nub. And he was one of those hell fellow well met, knew everybody, very gregarious, outgoing, but um charming too. And he would say, Son, you've got to understand the nuisance value of real estate. <laughs> he he was a horse trader and he had he had right. fishing ponds, and he raised cattle and did different things. But I saw Mr. Martin every single day of 
of my life in Sunbury. And I, um, when I opened my first store, I went to work that morning and I worked for the, for the next three and a half years without having a day off. I would open up in the mornings and I'd close up in the evenings and, um, it was hard. And, uh, so I, you know, I, I wasn't going out with friends and drinking. I wasn't, um, hanging out late and I wasn't going to the beach and hanging out. I was working all the time. And it was from that foundation that I think has given me a real competitive advantage throughout life because other people that come into this industry, the convenience store industry, and they've, they've come at it from a different angle. They don't have uh, the, the layers of knowledge. You know, I've cleaned more toilets and pumped more gas and cooked more hamburgers and fried more chicken and done the books and made deposits and worked with bankers and taken deposits to bank and hired more people and trained more people than most anybody that I compete with. And uh, I think it gave me a wonderful foundation for this industry that I'm really proud of. One of the great gaffes of my journalism career, and we all have them, is I, I did a profile on you. I was going to say about a decade ago, and it talked about kind of your, your upbringing and you're getting started in the business. And I remember an interview you talked about, you know, you, you got through with, with the University of Georgia and you were at least thinking about going to law school and you, mm-hmm. uh, you took the test and the, the score on the test was not what you wanted in terms of, of getting yep. to the right law school. And a, a great gaffe was me saying, saying you failed the test, which quite frankly, you can't fail <laughs> that test. But, yeah, no, I wanted uh, to go to UVA. <laughs> I, I, I graduated right. with honors. I actually went to school. Uh, I went to law school through the honors program. Mm-hmm. I was able to take some classes in law school at the University of Georgia. And Georgia's top-rated law school. It's a wonderful law school. But I never applied to law school. And um, my goal was to go to UVA, and I talked to my counselor about it and and said, he said, look, Greg, you're going to do well. You're going to make good grades in law school. You already proven that. But maybe this isn't what you should do. And I felt like such a Mm -hmm. failure. And uh, I I absolutely could have gone to law school. But I wasn't going to go to the you know the premier law schools, and I can tell you I look back on it now and um it's funny the challenges that come with life, Adam. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes when you have something that doesn't work your way, or you have something that you feel like you're not good at, or or you don't get whatever it is you were going after, and you think, oh my gosh, this is just terrible. And many times those things become you know the best thing that could have happened to you. Right. Those defining moments make you who you are as you grow and you mature and you advance in your career. And I would say the biggest challenges that I've had have proven to be beneficial to me. I, you know, I was a very insecure person mm-hmm. and I was riddled with self-doubt and I had a profound fear of failure. And um, I was as you as you know, Adam, I'm very ADD, and all of these things—the the insecurity and the um, and being ADD and fear of failure—I think all in some way helps me become successful in what I do. And so I don't look back and regret the fact I didn't go to law school. I'm glad I didn't go to law school because I wouldn't have had the career that I've had. But it, it's just really interesting if there are any young listeners. I would say 
don't don't be upset about your failures because oftentimes they lead you to success in a different way. Yeah. So so go back to that moment. You you make the decision. I'm not going to go back, and I'm going to start. A- okay. yeah, so I was I was I, I agreed that I was going to get um, the store going, you know, and um, operating. I didn't know anything, and I didn't have any help to be honest with you. I just had to figure everything out. And so I decided I was going to take the LSAT again and then perhaps go to law school the following year. I made the exact same score. <laughs> I didn't improve it. Uh, uh, I, of course, I didn't take any LSAT prep classes. You know, now everybody's taking prep classes for the SAT and the LSAT and the MedCaps and all these different things. And But, you know, we didn't do that back then. Or maybe right. the more people that had better resources might have, but I did not. So what was the impetus to, to start that first store? I mean, obviously, that's well, not did, what it, your family... It wasn't me. Yeah, it was my father. Okay. My father my okay. father was an Amico jobber. And in that okay. period of time, you only had, uh, you had a territory. And this is hard to believe, but I-95 didn't exist then, and they were just building it. And this exit, Highway 84 and 95, was the only exit that my father's territory touched I-95. Is that so right? He saw this as, as an opportunity because before then, people would go from the north to the south on Highway 301 or 17. You know, mm-hmm. they would, there were other ways to go, but it wasn't on the interstate, mm-hmm. which ended up having a profound impact on smaller towns that had a lot of tourist traffic from the north to oh, the yes. south. You know, yeah. I remember Glenville had a bunch of hotels. and um, A lot of these towns had a lot of business, Statesboro and um, Ludowisi and towns like that, they'd have a lot of businesses based on the traffic, the north-south traffic, and then I-95 took that away. But when I opened the uh, store in Midway, there was not much traffic on I-95. So when I opened it up, it wasn't like we were deluged with business. Yeah. It yeah, wasn't that you, way at you all. Can see it was coming, though. I mean, uh, no yeah, question. Yeah, that, that was the thought it was coming. But back then, it was all full-service gasoline. There was a belt. There was a rope that would go across, you know, the gas pumps. And a car would run over to go ding, 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 ding. And I'd right, run right, outside right. with my change belt. And I would pump the gas. And I'd clean the windshield. And I'd check the oil. And I'd check the air in the tires. We'd check the air in the tires of every customer. Mm-hmm. And um, then if somebody came inside and they wanted to eat, I would wash my hands and I'd run to the back and I would cook. Right. And I, I did Reuben sandwiches and I did hamburgers and I did fried chicken. And, you know, I would have eggs and bacon, what have you. But I would cook and then I would wash my hands and I'd run up front and check them out. Yeah. And at one point I got a wrecker. And uh, if I got a call from the sheriff's department to pick somebody up on 995, I'd have to lock the door to the store <laughs> and go out into the car and bring it in. And I'm not very good with mechanical stuff. So I would sort of keep my fingers crossed that the car would still be back there. When I went to <laughs> it wouldn't be uh, rolling the wrong way on the highway. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mechanical stuff is not my strength. Yeah. So you, you said three days, three years without a, basically without a day off. Where did you start mm-hmm. to see the growth and, and what were some of the early lessons that, that were, that were hard, hard learned? Well, one of the most important lessons is to invest in your people. Mm-hmm. And I have been really fortunate because I have people, I have people that work with me today that started at that store with me in Midway. 
In fact, T. Hannigan, who was my CIO, um, retired in March, February, March, and she had been with me 42 years. And uh, Amy Lane, who is uh, one of our executive vice presidents, started moving when she was 15 in, um, at the Midway store. And she's been with me close to 40 years. Yeah. Um, so if I was going to, if I was going to be guiding somebody, I would say really focus on your people, make sure you people that you work with people of good character and that are, you know, hardworking and try to do whatever you can to mentor and train those people because they can be your lifeline and your pathway to success as life goes on. I don't know what I would have done without Terry Heidman and Pat Sweat and Amy Lane and Brandon Hoffman and T. Hannigan. I mean, those people were all with me for so long. And without them, the Parker companies would not be what it is today. Right. So I think, you know, human capital and understanding the importance of relationship, not only with your people that you work with, but your suppliers and your, your lawyer and your insurance person and trying to create a team of professionals that can help you in life and help you in business. We are speaking with businessman Greg Parker on this episode of the Difference Makers podcast. Before we continue our discussion, let's pause and recognize the Difference Makers presenting sponsor and a real difference maker in our community, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. The team at CETA is pushing to make Savannah a great place to work and live. CETA is committed to creating, growing, and attracting jobs and investment in the Savannah region. Whether a business looking to relocate to the Savannah area or an existing business ready to grow and expand, CETA is the centrifuge of a propeller, making the connections, helping propel the business to success. Learn more about the Savannah Economic Development Authority and what they do in the Savannah community by visiting CETA.org. Now back to the discussion. Take us through the timeline of, of the store growth. When did the Midway store become more stores and when did you eventually come into Savannah? My Savannah was in the stores now been removed by the DOT because they expanded the intersection at Georgetown. But um, I remember that, that was you remember that store? That was my tenth store and my okay. first in Chatham County. Okay. So you were and, uh, Liberty County eventually, you just kind of grew and grew out and out and out and out. And yeah, out. Uh, I, yeah, I did. I was developing in the territory where my father had the Amico Jobbership. Okay, yeah. And so um, my first stores were Midway, Hinesville, Claxton, Ludowisi. Those were my first stores. The garden and spots. Then Richmond Hill and Riceboro and um, then Savannah. The garden spot. <laughs> no offense yeah. to those people in Little Whitby and Hinesville. I love those places. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> You've got to be careful what you say to them. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to say the garden spot. And then I landed in America's most beautiful city, Savannah, Georgia. And uh, I actually rented an apartment here. I'm trying to think. It was probably in 1970. Might have been 80. 1980 or 81. when I first got an apartment here and I lived in Sunbury, Georgia. Right. Where there were more dogs than people at the time. Right. Another garden spot. Look, Sunbury is gorgeous now. It is right on the water. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I guess, you know, here's something that's kind of interesting about our growth. 
we have grown at 20 to 24% a year in sales and profits, 20 to 24% a year for the past 21 years. I mean, that's unbelievable. That's consistent. And it's funny, I, I put this, I was being interviewed in an article and I said, my goal was to move to become a billion dollar company within five years. And I thought I was really stretching to do it. And then I was meeting with my CFO, Terry Heidman. And she said, Greg, if we do the same growth that we've been doing for the last 15 years, we'll do that anyway. That wasn't right. much of a goal. <laughs> Aim higher. So, Come on. I know, but I didn't, I didn't know at the time. So uh, anyway, it seems like a laudable goal. And um, we've, We've done everything we can to meet it. I'll tell you that. So when I moved to town in 1999, I, I ran an apartment historic district, and it was two blocks from the Parker's Market. And uh, uh-huh. kind of that that whole concept of the, I mean, I don't let you define it, but for me, it's kind of the the higher end, the upscale, the uh, not your usual convenience store. When can you kind of talk about developing that concept and? Um, what led you to it and, and well, Adam, it really, it really is. It really is a funny story because I had the concept, I had the idea and I had the location and I didn't want to do it. And I talked to several people, Linda, I can't remember Linda's last name. She had Hunter Horn plantation hams. I talked to her about doing it. Um, I talked to, I can't remember two or three different people. I said, I've got the greatest idea. And I wanted Parker's Market to exist, but I wasn't planning on doing it. And then I ended up forming a focus group with a group of people, Susan Mason and Mimi Kay and Helen Downing and just different people that I brought together. And I said, if this exists, what does it look like? And, you know, of course, I was got a lot of ideas of things. Um, and then I decided I was just going to do it. And we started out with 16 feet of fruits and vegetables. We had fresh meats and and fish. We had food that you could put in. You probably remember there from there, Adam. You could get like a pork chop that had stuffing on it, and you would go, you'd bake it off in your oven, but it was mostly cooked. Mm -hmm. So I forget what you call it. You finish cooking whatever was prepared. I brought in a chef from uh, Chicago. We tried a lot of things that did not work. Mm -hmm. So Parker's Market, as you see it today, has been an evolution over the last just about 22 years. And um, it's very different than it was when we first opened. But it's always been bent on having the products that people need in Savannah. And when I opened that, nothing like that existed. Right. And, And I will tell you this, it was slow to become successful. It was not successful out of the starting gate. Is that right? Yeah. And I thought to myself, like a year into it, I thought, what have I done? I am dedicating so much time and energy to this store instead of to my core business that I have made a mistake. I should have kept my energy focused on building core convenience stores. And then lo and behold, over the years, it became more and more successful. And, you know, there, there continue to be challenges with parking and all the things that you have to deal with in an urban environment. No, I always try to keep customers to pull away from the gas pump, so to pull their cars up so other people can get in. So it's a, it's a, it can be a, a logistical musical chair event, you know, because I want people to be able to get in and get out quickly. That's what most people want. 
And so we have uh, continued to work and focus more and more and more on food service. Mm-hmm. And as you know, last year we were picked as number one food service in the convenience store industry in the United States. Right. Which was, you know, really great. You know, at one point we were picked by TripAdvisor as the fourth best restaurant in the city of, of, of Savannah. <laughs> you know, a convenience store. Right. <laughs> in a city that has great food, great restaurants. So we were... We've been thrilled and we continue to try to get better at what we do because I am competitive and I want to continue to sharpen the saw and make sure that tomorrow we're doing a better job than we did yesterday. Let's close the loop on the, on the stores a little bit and talk about what you've done the last couple of years. And that's grow across, across the river up toward Charleston yeah. now in and around Charleston. What made you say that's my next market and I'm going to chase it and it's going to be hard to break in because it's hard to break in and, and go for it. Yeah. We want to grow in the path of growth. <clears throat> and if you look at demographics of America, people are moving towards the coast. So it was a natural bolt on. Buford County is one of the fastest growing counties in, in the United States. Charleston is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas. So we now have, I think it's 26 or 27 stores in South Carolina. <clears throat> we have a new store that's going to be open in South Carolina in a few months. And we have a new store opening in Savannah on Montgomery Crossroads within a month. And so um, our plan is to have 40 stores in the greater Charleston area. And right now we have eight. So we have 32 more stores to build there. And then we're going to go on up the coast to Georgetown and to Myrtle Beach. And we also like rural a lot. So we're going to be doing more rural locations as well. Our goal is to open 12 new stores a year and to double in size in the next uh, five years. So we have huge growth plans and we probably have 40 locations that are either permitted or have an LOI um, letter of intent or have a contract on. We have several stores that are permitting right now. And our goal is to open a store a month for the next 60 months. Yeah, it's a big goal. It's pretty ambitious. So before we transition and talk a little bit more uh, business philosophy, I want to circle back. And you talked about investing in people. And I know that mm-hmm. I think it was last year you uh, you entered into a, a partnership or, or whatever you want to call it with Georgia Southern University in the business school. Can you talk about yeah. uh, investing in and that side of the education and, and, and the young people that are in and around this area that are going to Georgia Southern? Yeah, I sure can. Um, we we have two big buckets of philanthropy. It's education and healthcare. As you know, we endowed the Parker Emergency and Trauma Center Memorial. And I did that because of the memorial taking really good care of me when I've had surgeries. And um, so I thought, you know, what is it that you can give where you're supporting everyone, everyone, your customers? And it seems to me that everybody at some point in their lives uses an emergency room. Philanthropists don't normally give money to emergency rooms. And so it seemed to be a great way to give back to our customers. And so that's what we did with Memorial. We started our Fuel in the Community program 11 or 12 years ago. And with that, we have the One Cent Wednesdays that we're giving monies back to, I think, like 435 schools. Every place where we have a store, we're giving back to the school systems that are that are around those stores. And it, it's over the years, it's, it's a lot of money. Then last year or a year and a half ago, whatever it was, I decided that I wanted to do something really significant. I was considering 
doing something with the University of Georgia because it was my alma mater. And then mm-hmm. my friend David Patterson got me to listen to a podcast. And uh, it was about philanthropy and giving. Malcolm Gladwell did it. Yeah. And it made me think, I need to give money to places that we give back to the communities where we're doing business. And what's interesting is the, the president of our company and the uh, CFO of our company and the head of real estate for our company all attended Georgia Southern. So my president uh, went to the Armstrong campus and Brian Pravat, who, and that's Jeff Bush is our president. Brian Pravat is our CFO, has his undergrad and his master's in accountancy from Georgia Southern. And then Nathan Richardson went to the university, um, to Georgia Southern University also. So I said, you know what? These people that are the top leaders in our organization were educated right here at Georgia Southern. And then when Georgia Southern merged, taking the Hinesville campus and the Armstrong campus and the Statesboro campus and merged it into Georgia Southern University, I thought, we are in all those market areas. So what can we do to educate and keep highly talented people in the greater Savannah area? So why not help educate students that are going to remain here? that aren't going to be going to other parts of the country. Some will, but mostly the people that attend Georgia Southern that are from this area stay in this area. And so um, I met with Dean Allen Amison, who I'm a giant fan of. I'm supposed to be having lunch with him today. And um, we talked about what we could do, how Parkers could work with Georgia Southern to help make the business school one of the premier business schools in the country. And that has been Alan's goal, and it's my goal, too. And so we, we, we gave them the biggest gift ever given in Georgia Southern history, and we endowed the Parker College of Business. But it's more than just our money, Adam. It's, mm-hmm. it's my Rolodex. It's, it's the way we think as a company. It's bringing a CEO mentality to the business school. So we're about to do a capstone project with Georgia Southern, and we are going to work very closely with them. And our goal is to have the university work with other businesses and the businesses are going to pay for these research projects. And then it's going to give the students that are working on these research projects to have the opportunity to have real life experience and then hopefully get hired by these companies. Uh, we created the Parker Scholar Program and I work, me specifically, and Alan Amison, who's the dean of the school, he actually teaches a class. He wrote the, the, the book that is being taught in the class. So you have Greg Parker, the, the, um, the person endowed at the um, business school. You have Alan Amoson, who leads the business school, working with a select group of students and bringing them uh, experiences they couldn't have in the regular curriculum, exposing them to ideas of the people. Another thing I've done is I've started the Parker's Talk series. Last year, the first speaker was Carol Sawdye, who is from Savannah. Her husband, John Marisano, owns the Grave Restaurant, which is wonderful. And Carol yeah. is the COO of Price Waterhouse Cooper, TWC. She's one of the top female executives mm-hmm. on the planet. And so she came and she was our mm-hmm. first speaker. The next one was uh, Andy Prozis, who was the CEO of LexisNexis. And to be able to bring in people of this stature 
and to be able to come and speak to the college students and give the opportunity to the college students to be able to ask them questions and meet them is, you know, is a phenomenal opportunity. We're also paying for research at the university and supporting the professors in other ways at the university. And um, I'm thrilled to have the partnership with them and being 67, wanting to give back and wanting to be able to help amplify what this uh, university represents and grow the Park College of Business is something that I hope to work on for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, we're, we're just, we're thrilled to be a part of it and want to educate and to keep this talent conduit here in our area. So if we can do a really good job of educating these students and we can keep them in the coastal empire, think what the long-term benefits are to the business community. And when the business community does better, everyone does better. So this is my small way of trying to elevate and influence the region that's been that I've been so fortunate to live in, and it's a great way for me to give back and for our company to give back. Again, you are listening to a conversation with Greg Parker, founder and CEO of the Parker Companies. We interrupt this interview to invite you to check out our latest digital initiative, Savannah's Town Square, on Facebook. Obviously, you enjoy the podcast. Many of you subscribe to our morning newsletter and watch or attend our monthly Brews and Views public forums. Savannah's Town Square is your chance to sound off. Every weekday, I post a talking point on Savannah's Town Square, a Facebook group page. Those who join the group are then free to engage with me and other members and discuss the topic. And unlike in comment sections and social media channels, we don't allow trolls and other mean-spirited posters to ruin what is meant to be a place for earnest, civil, and insightful dialogue. Go to Facebook today, search for Savannah's Town Square, and click the Join button. We'll get you in on the conversation. Now, here's the rest of the Difference Makers interview with Greg You talk about education and learning, and, and that's a good way to, to delve into something that I want to definitely want to talk to you about before we before we break up. And that's you're a guy that that I know is always very eager. You're a very eager learner. You, you're a member of mm-hmm. a lot of these different uh, groups, whether they're formal or informal, of of his executives and business leaders who are always looking at mm-hmm. best practices and throwing different ideas at each other. And and I'm wondering, can you if you can kind of sum it up, give us a synopsis of how that process works and what comes out of these groups that you're able to apply in your business life. Well, you're, you're exactly right, Adam. And it's because we've known each other a long time that you remember that. I joined an organization called YPO, Young Presidents Organization. And it's very much defined by forum. And the forums are set up with a group of people who are in dissimilar businesses and they get together once a month or once every month and a half. And you share everything about yourself and your business and your family and your community. And then they become each other's outside board of directors. Mm-hmm. And so if you're having a struggle with something, you've got a group of people that over the years you build this incredible trust with. And you're able to share ideas and, and as you said, learn best practices. And it can be things from your children and how you can be a better parent or how you can be a better president or how you can be a a better community leader. And so that group, and I'm still really close to those people and we've been together 30 years. Then I became part of something called study group. And in study group, we had a group of people that are all in the same industry, but I brought, I was the original president of the group and I brought a lot of people into the group 
and um, we would um, go over financials, share best practices, come up with ideas about how we can help each other. And that group I've been in for 22 years, maybe, something like that. And um, these people, I would take an absolute bullet for any one of these guys. We've been together for a long time, and we all do everything we can to try to help the other guy. And then probably eight or nine years ago, I started a, a CEO group on economics led by a guy named Walter Zimmerman. He's one of the most famous um, economists in the world. He's a technical analyst. He's a sort of Buddhist-minded, transcendental meditator who has had a big influence on my life. And in that, uh, I've brought a lot of people in over the years who have um, who have been a part of that group. And again, we brought this idea of complete confidentiality and sharing of best practices, trying to help make each other better. And um, recently, I put together, um, I invited a bunch of women in Savannah to a group, and I've, I've said to them, I've had so much luck with these groups. I think that, you know, the women are the future. You think about it. If you look at schools now, you look at, you know, law school, you look at medical school, you look at undergraduate school, way heavily um, bent towards women. I mean, it's something like 54% of all college, all people in college are female. And, and same thing in medical school and law school. And so women are the future. They're going to be the future leaders. They're going to be the future CEOs. They're going to be the future political leaders. And so Kate Smith, who's my chief of staff, has sort of led this, uh, invited a bunch of influential women to get together and say, you guys need to form a group like this because these are the benefits that come from it. And I'm really excited because this group is continuing to uh, work together, and I know they're going to do great things for our community. So one of my piece of advice to people would be create your own board. You know, find people that are, that are you know, people that are, smart and challenging and people that can help make you better, be willing to give back to them so that they'll give to you. And in doing something like that, the power of it is unbelievable. And the longer you stay together and the more you challenge each other to be better, the, the more benefits you'll get from it. So I'm hopeful that that's really going to germinate and that these people are going to do great things for our community. I feel sure they will. My last item for you is uh, obviously we're still we're in a pandemic. We've been in a pandemic here pretty much since mid-March. Your business is an essential business. You, you didn't close down, but like everybody else, you took a little bit of a hit. Uh, it's it's coming back to a certain extent at this point as you project forward, whether it's next week, next month, or basically until they come up with a vaccine or a treatment that's really going to thoroughly knock this thing down. Where do you think some of the keys are for businesses in, in navigating uh, this period in our in our history? Well, I think that's a real important question, Adam, and I appreciate you asking me that. And it's something that I've focused on a lot. When this pandemic started, I gathered together my executive leadership team and I said, we are going to come out of this a stronger and better company than we were going into it. And if you look back to 2008, when there was huge economic hardship, a lot of businesses went on and they had to say, we've got, to, we've got to work on the hierarchy of the business, the architecture, how the structure works, how invoices are paid, how we deal with suppliers. And so 
we had seen this happen before. People had to cut expenses and things they were able to do to, to be able to make it through the economic crisis. So we did the same sort of things. And I will tell you, my team is so remarkable, Adam. It is so much fun to go to work because I'm surrounded by really, really smart people who are hard charging and curious. They're nimble thinkers and they want to figure things out. So we said, what are the things that we can do as a company? And I'm saying this to your listenership so that they can perhaps do the same things in their businesses. What are the things that we can do to make sure that we're going to be better coming out of this than we were going into it? So if that was looking at redundancy, are there jobs that need to be eliminated? Are there jobs that need to be changed somewhat? Do we we need to renegotiate how we're buying products or how we're taking delivery or what our payment terms are on things? Do we need to do a better job at looking at how we're hiring and how we're recruiting and how we're training? And I will tell you this, that at Parker's, we are a better company because of the pandemic, because it has forced us to look at ourselves to say, what are we doing right and what are we doing wrong? And we are willing to be nimble enough to change, to, to make the corrections in our strategy, make the corrections in how we're hiring and training and, and promoting, make the corrections with technology that's going to make us be a better, stronger company in the future. And, you know, you have to make financial decisions all the while. There are things you can afford to do and things you can't afford to do right now. But there's, it, it's, you know, it's a good time to reinvest in your companies if you have the financial wherewithal to do that. If you don't, I think you should be looking at ways that you can save and then the, the changes that need to be made, save them for when you can't afford to do it. But we've, you know, I can tell you to an absolute member of our team, Brandon Hoffman, Jeff Bush, Eric Jones, um, uh, Kate Smith, uh, Blake Greco. Um, I don't want to leave anybody else. If you look at every member of the team, everybody's made changes so that we can be better than we were going into it. And, you know, the people that say, well, this is the way we've done it. Right. We're going to continue to do it this way. Right. Those are the people that are not going to be in business in the future. You have to be yeah. willing to make the changes necessary to compete in this new post-COVID environment. Yeah, and I think part of that reset, and I think you touched on this, is knowing what you need to quit doing. Is if you can't, if That's you can't exactly right, and say, okay, we're doing all of this, and this is not producing what we want from it. So why are we devoting resources to it? We're trying to do an ROI, return on investment analysis, on right. every single component of our business. We're trying to look at that in terms of if we're hiring for a position, what is that position going to return to the company that makes it viable and makes it a long-term advantage place to be? And what are the things that we have to do differently and positions that have to be eliminated? And I can tell you this, we're, we're changing the organizational structure and hierarchy of our company because we see with a clarity of vision now that we didn't see prior to March 8th. And we're saying, oh my gosh, why are we doing it that way? Clearly, this makes more sense. So being self-reflective and being willing to make those changes is going to ensure that you're successful in the future. Well, Greg, it's always good to talk to you and a very insightful conversation. I'm sure people are, are really going to enjoy it. And I appreciate your time and your candor. Well, listen, Adam, I, anytime you call, I'm going to answer the phone. Uh, I think Savannah's lucky 
to have you as being a thought leader in our community, and I'm honored that you would ask me to to, to be interviewed. So thank you very much for including me in, in, in the list of esteemed people that you've had on the show. So thank you. I appreciate that. That's a wrap on the August 7th episode of Difference Makers. Thanks to our guest, Greg Parker, and to our presenting sponsor, the Savannah Economic Development Authority. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Coastal Georgia Health Director Dr. Lott Davis, Georgia Ports Authority Executive Director Griff Lynch, and Second Harvest of the Coastal Empire's Mary Jane Crouch. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Our next episode will post August the 21st. On behalf of myself and producer Zach Dennis, thank you for listening.